job since he's been pastoring there. He's been there almost 10 years. He moved there when we moved here. We left Madison, but the grant came. And he has taken that church and has done so much for it and with it. We just thank God for his ministry. And most of all, we're thankful that he's here to minister unto us tonight. Let's everybody say, God bless Brother Grant. God bless Brother Grant. Brother Grant, come and minister to us in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I was just very thrilled to be able to come back here tonight. Last evening, you folks responded so well. The Spirit of the Lord was here. And I'll tell you, I am really enjoying my stay. Uh, I just felt uh, such a kindred spirit last evening. Some churches you go in, there's a churches develop personalities according to leadership. You folks just worshiped and preached. You really preached. You preached when I preached. And my throat has not been the best, but I just uh, really counted a great honor and privilege to be here with you. Now, last evening, we announced for about three services what we'd be preaching on. We talked about revival last evening. And then, of course, tonight I said I would talk about positive spiritual attitudes. And that's not something that comes out of a PMA book, I will assure you. It really isn't. And tomorrow night I plan on preaching concerning the Spirit of the Lord or the baptism of Christ. Now, I do not believe that Christians can run their life on discipline alone. And this is what happens sometimes. People, I'm not saying that discipline should not be applied, but you just can't run your life on discipline alone because there's not a whole lot of desire when discipline is in operation. But I believe that Christians should reach a point in which they love what they're doing and they want to do it. Now, there are times when discipline is necessary. There's no question about it. External controls will get the job done until an internal force will take over. Now, for an example, you take your child and your child does something wrong. And what do you do with your child? You discipline your child. You correct that child. You apply some external control in order for him to change his mind. But certainly, you would not want to apply external control always. You'd like to think that when your son got to be 45 and his children were grown, that you still weren't spanking him. You know, that he'd learned a few things on his own. And uh, I'll tell you, I have come to the conclusion that there are many, many people in this world who are really controlled by the devil. And part of those people are Christians. And that ought not be. Praise God. That ought not be. I call your attention tonight to a very common scripture. It's common to us because it kind of fits into our message, Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. And I'd also like to say this. I, I will not preach unless I can challenge people. So if you think that I'm just downright mean to you, uh, I don't really mean to be that way. Uh, I sometimes make it tough on myself, and I make it tough on people I pastor, but I really love you, and I, I think you're a great bunch of people, so... I don't know anything about you other than that you love the Lord and I love the Lord. So we trust that this will be challenging to you tonight. Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are, let's say that word together, complete. Let's say it again. Complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now you may be seated. But continue to look at the Scripture with me. Verse 11. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. John says that sin 
enters into man through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. We wear an external body, but there is more to us than the external body. The Scripture bears witness that there is an inner man. Now, somebody asked me to define the inner man. The inner man is what's on the inside of the outside. And the outer man is what's on the outside of the inner man. That's real simple, I guess, but... What goes, what's down deep inside? The inner man consists of two parts. One is spirit and soul. Now when God comes and makes us new through the new birth, we become complete body, soul, and spirit. Now what happens sometimes to us We do not let the Holy Ghost minister to us inwardly. And it's very easy for religion to become an external thing. Something that deals only with fleshly uh, movements. The clapping of your hands can become very mechanical. A lot of our standards of dress and, and such can become very mechanical. But God wants to minister to you completely because when He made you over, I know, according to the Scripture, that He made you whole. Now the word completeness here means wholeness. W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. He made you totally over. Now, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, the Bible talks about the old man of sin that's crucified. It talks about baptism. It talks about the resurrection. And, of course, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is what? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Christ died, he was buried, and he arose. Now, when the apostles went and preached, they did not preach Acts 2.38. They preached the gospel. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he arose. On the day of Pentecost, Peter did not preach Acts 2.38. He preached the gospel. Those people heard the gospel. They were pricked in their hearts. And they came to the Lord, or they came to Peter and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then he told them what the gospel was. The gospel is not just a story that's told on Easter, but it becomes an integral part of your life. It's an experience that you participate in. We were crucified with him. So his crucifixion makes it possible that this body of sin be mortified. Now the body of sin that we're talking about, we're talking about the lust of of the flesh, the, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Jesus Christ was buried, so the old man is planted with him in baptism. That's right. Jesus Christ arose, and so when we come up out of the water grave, which in the Bible, baptism was both, both a burial and a birth, an old man was buried and a new man was born. We got up out of that tank and lifted our hands and received His Spirit, His resurrecting power. So the gospel is not something that is just applicable to Easter time, but it's something that you participate in every day. Now, I think that the Scripture bears witness to this, and this may surprise you. I don't think any of us came to the Lord because we loved Him. No, sir. That's right. See, John says, we love Him because He first loved us. Then why do we come to the Lord? Because His Spirit draws us. That love is developed through something that we do. 
the sinner's prayer in the Bible that was prayed by the publican was, Lord, how mercy upon me a sinner. That's right. He did not express love, not at that point. He saw God's love for him and knew that it was a love of God that thwarted judgment from him. But his cry was, have mercy on me. In other words, he knew that if he got what was coming to him, it would be death. A sinner's death in hell. Now, after a man comes to God and prays that simple sinner's prayer, and he begins to repent, something begins to happen inside of him. Now, have you ever wondered why that you lose your desire to do spiritual things? Have you? Have you ever wondered why that it's real easy for you to get discouraged at times? Now, I have made up my mind a long time ago that I ain't going to let no dirty, rotten devil run my life. And the reason why that I thought that I could achieve that goal is because I believe that there were men in the Bible that were just as much a man as me that did not let the devil control them. Paul spoke of being beaten. He spoke of, uh, of, of being in prisons. He spoke of being in perils of danger and such. But in all of this, did he seem discouraged? No, there is not one ounce of discouragement that you can find in his testimony. When Paul and Silas were locked in prison at midnight, they were singing songs. Yeah, now most of us would be making phone calls for somebody to, to, to put us up, you know, put up bail money. Isn't that right? But that seemed to be their least concern. You cannot show me in the Scripture one man who was ever put in prison who prayed for himself. Now that's quite a, it's quite a thing. I don't know, <laughs> and I'm not saying if they put me in prison tonight that I wouldn't pray for myself. But I'm saying according to Scripture, they didn't. Now, <clears throat> so many people let the devil run their lives, and Christians are guilty of this also. Have you ever seen the Christian that when they walked out of the room, things just got bright and lovely? Some people emit negativeness. You can feel it from them. Now, that's not from God. Because God has all power. I recently heard a man make the statement that the devil was second to God. In fact, the only thing that the devil could not do, that God could do, and that is create. But I don't believe that. I do not believe that the devil is omnipotent. I do not believe that the devil is omniscient. He doesn't know all. And I do not believe that he's omnipresent. I believe he is present with some people always, but I do not believe the devil and his spirit is omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at one time like God can. I do not believe that. But a typical example of the life that some people live, I sat in my office and talked to a sister, and I just was at loss of words. I didn't know what to tell her because she'd just been dealing with the same old problem, you know, so long. And I said, now, I said, what happens when you pray? She thought for a long time. She said, it gets worse. <laughs> I like to die. I couldn't believe it. That's what she told me. She said, it gets worse. I just couldn't believe it. I, I, I just, and I've seen her walk in our church, and, and, and really it's so pitiful. You know, when you ask somebody, how are you doing? That's a greeting. Now, a lot of people say, well, if you tell people that you're doing good when you're not doing good, then that's lying. Well, it all depends on how you look at yourself. That's you see, right. to some people, all there is to them is a hunk of flesh. Uh -huh. That's right. That's why we call each other somebody. We talk of the body. 
That's the way we're geared. And so some people, they may be in pain, but they're still doing good. I told my wife, I said, you know, I don't want to sound so derogatory toward a, a saint that I pastor, but I said, this sister would make a real good cover girl for the book of Lamentations. <laughs> I said, I just never seen anything like it in my life. And, and yet, she just keeps holding on somehow. Don't send this tape back to Madison. No, we'll hang on to this one. Okay. <laughs> But I can't believe anybody living their life under that type of bondage. She said, I get up in the morning, I feel vexation for the devil. I said, what happens when you go to bed? She said, I feel it too. And some Christians are that way. They get out, you know, and and this is one thing to know-know in our church. Uh, When a new person finds the Lord, don't run up to him and tell him, the devil's going to attack you tomorrow. Because you see, they may have more faith than you. He might not do that. (laughs) Let them live a little while. They'll learn what the devil's all about. And some people just flood the bookstores. There are all kinds of books on how to deal with the devil. The Bible says, resist the devil, he will flee from thee. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto thee. Praise God, praise God. I I think that what we need to do is learn how to deal with ourselves and learn how to deal with God. And, And listen, we can put the devil on the run. I feel very, very sure that we can do that. Turn with me quickly to Matthew 24, Matthew 4, not 24, Matthew 4. There is something in here that that uh, I feel that uh, will at least open our understanding to the the way that the Lord did certain things. Matthew four uh, verse twenty three, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sicknesses. And all manner of diseases among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments. And those which were possessed with devils. And those which were lunatic. And those that had the palsy. And he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people. Now notice this, great multitudes of people, people were following him. He, Jesus Christ was allowing the God that, that was in him, the spirit that was in him to flow from him to heal people, Amen. to cast out devils. Amen. And great and wonderful things happen. And I will say this, I believe that that power is in the church today. Amen. There's no question about it. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. But I believe that the Scripture sets something for an example for us. Now, chapter 5 starts out by saying, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... They were expecting healings again. They were expecting the supernatural. They were expecting great things to take place. And when they began to follow him... They saw all of these things. But Jesus understood that they were following him. They had seen these. Now he sits them down and he begins to teach them. Now every church that's a powerful church will have a supernatural operation of the Spirit of God. But every church that's a powerful church will also have a great ministry of the Word. The people will love the Word. And they will love it with all their hearts. Now notice what Jesus did. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Now the word blessed here, in, translated from the Greek, simply means happy. Mm-hmm. Now, happy are the poor in spirit. Now isn't that strange? For theirs is the kingdom of ha- heaven. Happy are they that mourn. Uh-huh. In other words, people that are sad are happy. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. Now that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? 
No, He's given us a key to something. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we want to stop right here and just talk to you a moment about something that I feel that is so very, very, very important for us to understand. Now, the Beatitudes are really attitudes. The correct attitude of the Christian. When Jesus Christ sent the Christian forth, He sent him forth as sheep among wolves. In other words, this is talking about the attitude of the Christian. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now this was the attitude of Christ. And I think what God was doing here, Jesus was doing, He was instructing them that it's necessary to have the right attitude in order to keep this type of ministry alive. It's necessary to have the right attitude. Now you may say, attitude, what about attitude? Attitude is the part of you that causes you to think the way you think. Have you ever wondered why some people think the way they think? Have you ever wondered about that? And some people can have bad attitudes and you know exactly how they're going to think about certain issues of life. Now, you see, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder in soul and spirit. Now, I cannot define the soul nor the spirit to the degree to meet my own satisfaction. But the Bible says that the Word of God can divide. Now, the Bible says, Piercing asunder to dividing of soul and spirit, to the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Do you know that God can read your mind? The Bible uses the word, the thoughts of your heart. God knows what you are thinking right now. But the Bible doesn't only stop there. The Bible says that He is a discerner of the thoughts and the Intense. Now the intense deals with the motives or the attitudes. God also knows what makes you think what you think. He can read your mind, but He's also able to discern why you're thinking what you're thinking. What causes you to go off on tangents like you do? I've been in circles of people and dealt with the public for a long, long time. And I found that there are certain people who always take certain stands against things. They do it without even considering the issue. They develop what I call opposing spirits. They're just in direct opposition. Brother Blackshire made a statement here. In fact, I asked a man one time. I said, well, I said, uh, oh, just what do you oppose? I was talking about a certain thing. And this is what he said. He said, I oppose everything. That's the way he said it. I just oppose everything. Now that man happened to be one of our ministers. He is not a United Pentecostal Church minister today. He fell into sin. His attitude, his spirit was just not right. And there's no question about it. It just wasn't right. Now, any time that there is a deficiency that takes place in you, the best place to solve it or to find the answer is in the Word of God. Now, we talked last evening about committing your life to the Lord and such. Sister Brenda sung the beautiful song, which I think was a real act of God. And she says, I'm so tired of being tired. And she talked about making all of these promises and never doing them. I went to deeper life meetings and came back home and 
I tried my best to be different, but I couldn't be different. I, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I just ran out of steam, and quite frankly, I just didn't want to do it. Now, when you don't want to do something, it's very difficult to get you to do it. It's just, it's nigh impossible. And if you do it, your productivity, the level of productivity is so low that you can't even hardly call it productivity. Now, I think the Lord really talked to me about myself, so I'll share this with you tonight. And I think this will be good for every person in this building, whether you're a member of United Pentecostal Church here or not. I believe it will be good for you to hear this. Let's look at the letter in Revelation to the church of Ephesus. Revelation 2, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. In other words, there was a, there was a measure of discipline in their life. They, they recognized the truth. They saw the truth. They, they, they recognized it. However, notice this. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because... Thou hast left thy first love. In other words, they didn't really have a love for what they were doing. They really didn't have the desire. It was mechanical to them. Now, if someone came in and noticed or observed what they were doing and the way they operated, I'm sure that they would have this testimony. The church at Ephesus is a blameless church. But you see, God looked past the external. He looked inside of them and saw that deep down inside of them there was a spiritual deficiency. They did not desire, they did not love the way that they needed to love. Now notice what happened, verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and do what? Repent. Now, the word repent is a lost word among Christians. I said it's a lost word among Christians. And I feel that if there is anything that we need to understand is that repentance is not something that you do one time in your life, but it is something that you must do Daily. All right? Repent and do thy first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Except thou repent. Now what I'd like you to do is turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now this may not make a lick of sense to you right now, but we still will be able to do something with this text. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you, what? Holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul speaks of the man and what he consists of. He consists first of spirit. The spirit is the motive or the attitude of an individual. How important is it that it's correct? It's important that the Holy Ghost minister to your spirit. If you will read in the New Testament, especially in the epistles written by Paul, he over and over and over emphasizes the importance of the Holy Ghost ministering to your spirit. Who can know the mind of God save the spirit of man that is in man? That spirit is the feeler, the antenna, the radar of the inner man that reaches out to the high power. 
Now, one of the keys of the apostles said, Shall we call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus said, Ye know not what spirit ye are of. Now, he was not telling them that they were devil-possessed. He was saying, you don't know what your attitude is like and what causes you to have that type of attitude that you have. It's important that your spirit be right. And if your spirit or your attitude or your motives are not right, brothers and sisters, you will not be able to be productive for God. And it's so, so vital that God come and minister to your spirit. The spirit is where your appetite is whetted. It's where the inner man is fed. Now, to give you an example, I drove up one hot summer night to the A.M.W. Root Beer stand, and a bunch of young people were out there. They had their shoes off. It was a real hot night, and all of a sudden somebody put a quarter or whatever it takes to play. Uh, what do you call that thing? Huge box. Okay. <clears throat> So they put it in, and, and this loud, blasting music came on. And the kids that didn't have their shoes on pulled them off, and they got out there, and, man, they were really going. You know, they were just uh, popping their fingers, and they were just going. And, and I said, now, now, I told my wife, now, you look at that. Now, something has a hold of them. Now, to tell you the truth, I didn't feel a thing. A few Sunday nights after that happened, uh, uh, we had a visitor that sat through our service. I preached my heart out. The people worshiped. They cried. They responded. We had several people healed that night. We baptized a couple of people. I went in the back, and I said, well, what do you think of our service? He said, oh, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I said, now, you can't tell me you didn't feel something. He said, no, I didn't feel anything. And I, I told the man, I said, now, listen, I know better than that. But he said, no, I didn't feel a thing. Well, I got to thinking later, maybe he didn't. Because I have gone to some of the places of the world, that is, where things were happening, and where people got over-involved to the point that I wanted to leave, and I'll tell you the truth, I didn't feel anything, but they sure felt it. And you know the reason why that, that, that people become addicted, and there's a pulling power, and their desires go in that direction, it's because they feed their spirit. They develop an appetite. Do you know the reason why we feel God the way we feel God when we come in the house of the Lord? Because we have developed an appetite. Our spirit is reaching out for God. Our spirit is trying to be ministered to. There is a craving inside. Paul said, though the outward man perish, the inner man is renewed day by day in the Holy Ghost. Praise God, praise God. And then, of course, the soul. The soul is the seat of emotions and desires. Jesus prayed in the garden, Now is my soul exceedingly sorrowful and troubled. It's the seat of emotion. It's the seat of desire. And then, of course, I think all of us know enough about the body that, that really does not need an explanation. Now, I threw that out to you after reading the church letter that God wrote to those at Ephesus through John. Now, when their desires were dead, they didn't have to get up and go. They didn't have the willpower to do it. Now, they'd operated on discipline, but, but there, there was a deficiency there. There's no... God said, now there's one thing that you need to do. Repent. How powerful is repentance? I think that's what Jesus was saying. Repentance will never heal a man. Repentance will not open blind eyes. Repentance will not cause the lame to walk, and that's not where our power is. But repentance is a very important part in our Christian experience. Now, what I'd like you to do, if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Now, the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians 5 is none less than the character of God. 
It's the character of the Spirit. But did you know that repentance has a fruit? When John the Baptist said, bring forth meat, fruit unto repentance, he was saying that, that repentance has a fruit that comes with it. Now you can repent to a degree and not have all the fruits of repentance. It's possible. I do not believe that people will be filled with the Holy Ghost, however, without the fruits of repentance. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. For godless sorrow worketh repentance, verse 10, to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, in verse 11, he said, For behold the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godless sort. There are seven fruits of repentance. I want to go through those quickly, and we want to cover those one by one tonight. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. God put a red-hot desire to serve Him in the heart of a repentant man. That's why He wanted Ephesus to repent. Because they had lost their love. You may say, I thought you said a, a sinner who came to God did not come to God because He loved Him. That's true. The Spirit draws Him. He repents after the Spirit draws Him. That's where His love comes from. Yea, what zeal! Yea, what revenge! And all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. In other words, you people really do have the fruit of repentance. Now, I want to talk about... <coughs> The fruit of repentance. Just for a moment here. What carefulness. Now the word carefulness here is talking about thoughtfulness. When a man fully repents, he becomes very thoughtful and careful about what he does. And a man who lives very reckless after he has gotten up from the altar has not repented. Now, repentance is not spiritual perfection. The man may get up from the altar and go and do something that's wrong, providing he doesn't know it's wrong. But you will find that he will be very thoughtful and careful, and he will examine things to see if those things are right or wrong. And he will search the Scripture to find out if what he's doing is right or wrong. He will call his pastor to find out if what he's doing is right or wrong. Now, repentance is something that should not be practiced by the sinner alone. But man, every day. Paul says, I die daily. I put myself under every day, lest by any means, when I preach the gospel to others, that I myself might become a castaway. And the secret to his constant victory and positive spiritual attitude was the fact that he repeated every day so that the Holy Spirit could work through him, so that the Holy Spirit could move out from him, so that the Holy Ghost could heal, so that the Holy Ghost could save, so that the Holy Ghost could deliver. All right, let's go to the next one. What clearing of yourselves? Clearing of yourselves. Now, my son gave me a very nice gift recently. He gave me a little watch with a calculator. I take and balance my checkbook at red lights and things. It works out so well. You don't have to worry about people behind you. They'll let you know when it changes. Now, <clears throat> that is a light. But... Uh, I just want to demonstrate something here. 25 times 25 is what? Does anybody know the answer? Who knows the answer? 625. 
Now, my calculator says 625. Now, I want to add something real simple to that. I want to multiply 5 times 5. And what should the answer be? 25. But my calculator says 15,625. Now, I guess it's time to throw it away and get a new one. No, the problem was I didn't clear it. See, and this is the problem with a lot of people that I have contact with. You rub shoulders with the world every day. You hear vile language that flows from the lips of corrupt individuals in places where you happen to shop. Rock music is piped in. And you are constantly being fed these things from different directions. And there are too many people in our world that lie down and get up and lie down and get up day after day after day after day. And after a while, they wonder, why in the world are things going so wrong? I can't understand why my spiritual experience is on such a low ebb. It's simply because they have not cleared themselves. And that's the reason why they don't get the right answers from God. You see, we are the two. We are the instrument that's placed in the hands of God. And the clearing of the instrument is left up to us. God put within us a free will. You see, there will be no feet that walk down streets of gold that don't want to be there. God just made us that way. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible says if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Now, the key to interpretation of that scripture is willful sin. The scripture is saying that God never appropriated blood that was powerful enough to cleanse a man's soul when he was sinning and he didn't care about it. The man who is sinning and he sins day after day after day and he sins willfully, there is no blood that ever flowed from Calvary strong enough to take his sin away. He's got to repent of it. He's got to reach a place in which he's sorry. There's got to be a clearing out of his soul. And there's no sacrifice for his sin if there is not the clearing. John 14, 30. There is a beautiful scripture found in the Bible. I'd like for you to turn there with me if you would. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. John 14, verse 30. Jesus said, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and he hath nothing in me. Praise God. The Bible says when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do you know the reason why that Jesus Christ never sinned? Do you know why that from his lips never came any guile? Do you know why that he was blameless? Do you know why the Bible tells us that he was a man that was perfect? It's because he never let himself reach the place in which lust was conceived in his heart. He cleared himself every day. And brothers and sisters, if it took it for our Lord and Savior, how much more would it take it for us who were born by the seed of Adam, brother? Praise God. But he cleared himself. You wonder why he got alone late at night when everybody else was sleeping? Do you know why he rose early in the morning? He kept himself clean and pure so that when Satan came and Satan looked inside of his heart, Satan saw nothing in his heart that reminded him of himself. He wasn't there. was right. His desires were right. And consequently, his action was right. Glory! Woo, glory. glory! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He cleared himself. He emptied it all out. He who never knew no sins taught us how to pray. Father, forgive us our trespasses. The word our includes himself. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'll clear myself and I want to have a good attitude of people who have done me wrong and I don't want any vengeance to fall upon them. 
keep me pure, holy, clean, and undefiled. And the secret to Christ's perfect life was his clearing of himself. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But it doesn't stop there. Notice what it says next. What indignation. God puts a red hot hatred for sin. In our blood. If a man is truly repented, God puts it there. It's there. He hates sin. Tell me what sin is. I want to go the opposite direction because sin is a transgression against the law of God. Sin is directly opposite of what God does. You know the reason why God can't sin? Because everything he does is right. And sin is established on this particular idea that first there is righteousness and what opposes it is unrighteousness or sin. So God cannot sin because everything he does is right. And God puts a hatred in our heart for the ways of the devil and the ways of iniquity. Yea, what fear. I'll tell you, every time that Israel sinned and went into apostasy, God sent prophets to teach them how to respect the Lord and to fear God. Praise God. And I'll tell you one thing that, that repentance does. It teaches you respect for biblical authority. It teaches you respect for God. It teaches respect for God's leaders. It teaches you respect for mother and for dad and so forth on down the chain of command. That's exactly what it does. God puts a real respect and a fear in our life and especially for the word of God. But it doesn't stop there. The scripture says, Yea, what vehement desire. I visited a home of a young lady who had Pentecostal background and I taught her several lessons for Church for Truth and she had uh, come to our church and repented and was filled with the Holy Ghost. Beautiful experience. Missed a few services. <clears throat> Wife and I became a little concerned. We went out and talked with her. She said, you know, Brother Grant, I pretty well know the ropes. But she said, I'm not going to make myself do something I don't want to do. She said, I do not want to serve God. She said, how can you make yourself do something when you don't want to do it? The problem was, just a few weeks before when she repented at the altar, she wanted to do it. When she lifted her hands and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, she wanted to do it. But now she doesn't want to do it. Why? Because what she did at that altar, she failed to do the next day and the next day and the next day. And listen to me very carefully. If you have no desire to do what you know you need to do, you must Repent. Repentance will give you a desire. The scripture says it will do it. Praise God. Praise God. If you're having problems, if all your life is just discipline, oh, I've got to go to church tonight, and I'm always so tired, and oh, what about the visitation program, and then we've always got something going, and oh, I just get so tired, and oh, life is so hard, and listen, you need to repent. What gives a man energy to go long hours at night working on various projects? You see, that's where his desires and interests are. Do you know that the body will automatically supply the energy to cope with any problem or job or crisis that comes your way if you desire it? But if you don't desire it, listen, working on discipline alone, it becomes a real drag and the body runs out of energy. Praise God, praise God. Some people come zipping in the church doors. Praise God, praise God. We got a lot of people healed tonight. We got people be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're going to sing like we're heaven's angels. We're going to we're going to do everything that God wants us to do. Somebody else comes in. Oh, not again. Oh man, I can't believe this. 
Notice what happens. He said, yea, what zeal? Praise God. What zeal? Now Paul speaks of having zeal, but not according to knowledge. Is this my go? Praise God. The man who is fully repented, even though he might be a new convert, he's got a burning zeal to do something. I just can't wait until I get a little Bible under my belt so I can go out and win somebody to the Lord. I just can't wait until the pastor sees that I'm fit to be used. I just can't wait until I grow up and I'm able to walk like these people walk. I'm tired of crawling around on the floor. What causes a little child that's born in the world after he's bumped his head a dozen times on the floor to get back up? There's something bred right into his nature that says, get out and try it again. And the man who clears himself every day, the man who repents every day, he's got that zeal. I've got to talk. I've got to tell. I've got to go someplace. And brother, when that loses its effect in your life, when it's not there, you need to repent. Glory. Now, I like this last one. Yea, what revenge? God puts in the heart of the repentant man a revenge. I'm going to get even with the devil. Now you watch me. The devil is killing my grandmother with bad habits. And the devil is strangling my friends with bad habits. And I've got relatives that have blown their brains out with drugs. And so help me, I'm going after him. A revenge. Oh, hallelujah. It's got to be all right in Scripture. <laughs> Woo, glory. That's exactly what God puts in you when you fully repent. We have a Christian school. And a little girl ran up to me just frantic. And she grabbed me around my leg and she said, she's in our uh, 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 kindergarten. I think she's kindergarten, maybe first grade. She said, Brother Grant, Brother Grant, you gotta help me. You gotta help me, you gotta help me. I said, What's wrong? She said, See those two boys over there? Yeah. She said, They're chasing me. And uh, she said, I don't want them to chase me. I said, You want them to stop chasing you? She said, Yeah. I said, It's real easy. When they run at you, you don't run. And the game's all over. So, so she walked away like she's worth a million dollars. And they took out running. And she just stopped and smiled. And they looked at her. And said, Joanne, you're not going to run anymore. No. I got tired of this game. You want to get the devil off your back? Quit running. Quit running. You're tired of him chasing you? Stop your running. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Get that revenge in your blood. It's in your eyes. I'm going to put him down. He's the everlasting, eternal, defeated foe. I looked in the back of the book, brother, and we win. He's going to buy you hell forever and forever and forever. Why should he control me? Oh, glory. Let's lift our hands and praise our God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Brothers, we're in a race. We're not in a chase. And I'm not going to run from him. And you'll be determined tonight that you won't run from him. And whatever he's doing that's against the word of God, oh, hallelujah, we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to believe God. That God's going to save these people that we love. And we're going to keep on praying. And we're going to keep on fasting until we move both heaven and hell. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. God puts revenge in our system. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and praise Him again.
I feel the Holy Ghost moving right now. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that we have somebody here that's tired of living under the bondage of the devil. You'd like to break your affiliation and ties with a losing team. You're tired of running around and being chased. You're tired of going out all day long and living your life and coming back in only to be sadder than you were when the day began. Listen, friend, it doesn't have to be that way. Did you know that God wants to save you? Do you know that God is reaching out to you tonight? Do you know that God knows more about you than you really know about yourself? Do you know that you've tried so many, many things in life, trying to work out your own formula, but you still haven't found it? But did you know that God has it? It's right here in the Word of the Lord. The answer is to repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. God wants to take you out of that kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of marvelous light. God wants you someday to walk down streets of gold. Listen, friend. He'll prepare a mansion for you. He wants to do all of this. Why? Because He loves you. And the whole story of Calvary is God reaching out in love for fallen man. The reason why you need to repent is because the Scripture tells us the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scripture tells me in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and after death, the judgment. The Bible tells me in Revelation, the 20th chapter, verse 14, that the fearful and the abominable the murderers and the liars, all unbelievers, shall find their place in the lake of fire, which is the second death. You see, that's the curse of living in sin. When God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and placed cherubims there with flaming swords to keep them out, He pronounced a curse upon the human race for disobedience. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul said in Romans 1, 2, and 3, who then is a sinner? You know what he said? He said the Jews who were given the oracles of God did not live up to them. The Gentiles who were not privileged to have the oracles of God did by nature the things contained in the law. In other words, they didn't know what the Mosaic law said, but something inside of them told them that they ought not steal from each other. Something inside of them told them that they ought not go kill each other. Where did they get that? They did by nature the things contained in the law. But Paul said the problem with man is this. The Gentiles who did by nature the things contained in the law, broke the law, seared their conscience, and hardened their hearts and refused God. And the Jews walked away and were put into bondage and forgot about the oracles of God. Who then is guilty, he says, the Jew or the Gentile? He said, both of them. Because he said, all the world stands before God guilty. Guilty. Guilty of what? Of death. And so when I was born in this world, I was born in the bondage. Later on, I was shaping an iniquity. What does that mean? That means that 
I should go to hell. However, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, came with a message. The exception is found like this in the Scripture. In Luke 13, 3, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Except you believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, God made an exception. The exception is you don't have to be lost if you will repent, if you will believe on Him, if you'll be born again. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus made an exception. Would you stand with me right now? Somebody right now, slip right out and come. On either side of our pulpit, here is a place for you to to kneel and pray.